This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Elephant. As a listener of this show, I'm pretty sure you've already embraced technology and practice efficiencies, but sometimes it's hard to find training in those areas. Some of you look to your state societies to get CPE credit, but those tend to be tax or audit focused and quite frankly, from what I've heard, pretty boring. Thankfully, our friends at Elephant have created education for tech-savvy accountants and bookkeepers like yourself. They offer training on platforms like Xero, QuickBooks, and Zapier. Webinars on topics like cryptocurrency and firm marketing have all-star instructors who not only understand technology, but are using it to run their own practices. And just for you, Elephant has a special offer for Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners. Visit elephanttraining.com slash CAP. That's E-L-E-F-A-N-T training.com slash CAP to receive 50% off your first webinar. Again, that's elephanttraining.com slash CAP for 50% off your first webinar. Elephant, building better practices one bite at a time. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, so you are traveling? You're not in Southern California and the fires and the smoke? I'm not. I'm out in the desert. I am in Las Vegas for the AICPA Controllers Conference, Caesars Palace, and I am recording from my hotel room. I was uh, in New York City the last couple of days and I, a big storm rolled in there and I managed to get out. I, I booked an earlier flight, got out maybe three hours early, just in time, or I'd probably still be in New York City, probably without a hotel. I don't know what I did at this point. So. <laughs> what were you doing in New York? Uh, I had a meeting, but coincidentally, the um, AICPA has an event there going on um, about like female leadership or something. I think oh, yeah, about yeah, 700. yeah. And so it's funny because I, I ran into uh, Rachel Fish from uh, Sage was there and just had to, had to drink with her fast. Like not, not really planned. It just happened to be both in the same town at the same time. I got to meet a few folks. Uh, Amy Vetter was the keynote speaker at the Controllers Conference. We hung out a little bit and got to talk to her about what she thinks accounting teams inside of corporations can do to be more, she calls them cherished advisors, right? And I was curious how this presentation would go because it's something that I think she does normally for public people in public accounting. The idea of you know being that advisor, being that cherished advisor to your customers. So I'm thinking to myself, well, how is this going to work when we're talking about accountants who are working in industry? And she had a really great point, just one one thing that takeaway that I got uh, out of many, which is that controllers should encourage their teams to be service centers rather than cost centers, meaning it's it's actually a whole mind shift uh, in in how you think about your finance and accounting organization rather than being these you know after the fact, I put together the reports, I rat everybody out for you know whatever not meeting their budget or whatnot you Instead, look at your organization or your team in the organization as being consultants. So going out and trying to be proactive, uh, encourage your staff to go out and, and help other departments meet their goals. And one of the tips she suggested or one of the tactics was doing NPS surveys, net promoter score surveys, internally asking other departments like marketing and sales, how do you like working with accounting and finance and trying to improve the organization that way? So I find that it's kind of interesting in, in from a service center standpoint, because right now I think if bigger companies think their accounting department is just like this thing that has to be done, right? And they just shove data over there and the accounting department eventually gives them a report, but that's kind of it. And really moving to like, hey, we uh, compiled the X report for your department. And when they come back and you just don't give them the report back, you actually, hey, we noticed the ratio of this number is a little higher. You might have yep. this problem in your department because we noticed these numbers are trending this way. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I'm surprised nobody's kind of brought this up till now. Yeah, it's definitely the first time I've heard it. And I just like, I love the idea of, of treating 
other users of the financial information in the organization as customers rather mm -hmm. than, I don't know what else you would call them. Like they're, they're be customer service oriented. Uh, that's good to see. Uh, again, like, like trends that are happening in small business bookkeeping in cloud accounting, right? Bank feeds are starting to see that move into corporate, the corporate level, right? And now the way the, the advising and treating of uh, clients and customers doing net promoter scores, now that's starting to work its way up into bigger firms, internal accounting controls. It's, it's really interesting to see these trends. Yeah. So, well, so you were in New York, I am in Las Vegas, and there was another big event in the UK. What was that? Zerocon happened this week in the UK. We should have we should have went to that, actually, in London. That would have been a, a fun time. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyone from Zero listening, uh, if you would like us to record our podcast live at Zerocon, buy us tickets. Business class, preferably, please. <laughs> 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 just, just, just keep trying, Blake. Keep trying. I think the one thing we'd start out with is uh, they've released their numbers, their mid-year numbers, mm -hmm. or they call them half-year results, which is a interesting term. Half year, they only report twice a year instead of quarterly, as as we do in the U.S. Yeah, it makes sense. So they reported that they had 1.6 million subscribers. Now they added about 380 thousand the past year, and. A second article, so it's like two articles, but the second article actually has like a breakdown by country, which I think is interesting. So there are uh, about 981,000 in Australia, United Kingdom, they're at uh, 355,000, and then North America, it's only at 178,000. So they're really still, they're struggling in North America still. Yeah, it's really small in North America. How does that compare to, you know, QuickBooks Online in North America? I think QuickBooks Online in North America is close to 3 million in North America. Yeah, so... It's, it, yeah, it's, it's a, you can definitely see where that's a struggle for sure. So if you want to see these numbers for yourself, this is an article in the what is it, Canberra Times called Zero Increases Dominance of Cloud Accounting with 37% Growth. We will have that in the show notes. So what else is new? Did they have feature releases, product updates? What about this Instafile acquisition? What's this, what is this going on? And that, so Instafile, from what I can tell, is um, kind of like some sort of a tax reporting tool for the UK for uh, tax prep and tax mm -hmm. filing. And I think this is kind of important because as the UK market's having to go make tax digital, which is essentially no more paper. People are going to want that work. They don't want a standalone insta-file, right? If you, if you have financial data in zero, you want to move it move it across, right? To, to get the reporting system out. Yeah, but it was yeah. really, it was, they must be super small because I think the acquisition was only like, or 6.82, 6.82 million. Kind of crazy. Like the UK going completely paperless, I mean, if 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 Zero is able to integrate this tax filing software uh, into their application, then you know you can just go straight from your general ledger reports to your tax. I guess well, that's going to be massive. They announced this when they were at ZeroCon in London, and there's not much on it other than they acquired them. Um, it's going to help the the end to end workflow, which which I think they they also have. I think work papers in Australia, right? That full mm -hmm. end to end workflow. And to some extent, that's when a huge advantage QuickBooks has in the States, right? They have QuickBooks, but then they have ProTax, LACERT, um, yep. ProSeries. All flows so they in. have the tax side on the back side, yeah. And that's something that zero lacks. And you kind of can almost can see it in the numbers, right? Where, where, where you don't have that back end of the tax workflow for accounting firms, it could hurt your actual bookkeeping software. Definitely. Yeah, there were a few integrations announced with fintech in the UK, which is really growing quickly. And the one I'm not familiar with most of these apps except for TransferWise, which is an app to transfer funds internationally. Apparently, people are now transferring over three billion pounds every month using TransferWise, saving three million pounds per day when compared to traditional foreign exchange methods. So now you've got the zero integration there. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this article 
was that these are integrations that are now using, if I remember correctly, it's using the new bank feeds. So Zero has a bank feeds API. Ah, uh, yes. And so, and, and what that is, it, it, Intuit used to have this as well. It was good, it had a different name. So, uh, so you, you know, everybody knows the bank feeds in Zero or the bank feeds in QuickBooks, right? Um, imagine if there was a way for a developer to have access to that same information and read that down. Now, the interesting thing is, Intuit had bank feeds and had a bank feeds API that was public to developers. And they actually shut it down almost, it feels like almost fully two years ago, uh, the bank feeds API at, at Intuit got shut down. Um, couple of different reasons a little bit. I think um, some of it, you know, that's, it's special sauce. But I think the main reason, I don't think the banks like it. Like, I don't think the banks like somebody harvesting the data and then reselling it. Mm -hmm. Because that's essentially what you're doing, right? And I don't think the banks long-term like this. And it'll be interesting to see where where this goes for Xero um, as they have this API and they continue down that path. And then there's competing products. People have used things like Vincinity or Plaid. There's other services out there. Um, yeah. Because the other thing is, I think with bank feeds, what we're, what I think I was observing is people use the bank feeds to make mint knockoffs. Because like, you, you pull mm-hmm. the bank feed data down, now you can make a knockoff of personal finance software mint, right? And there's a lot of that that kind of goes on. And really, what's the next step? If you have access to the bank feeds, now you just build a zero knockoff or a QuickBooks knockoff. So it's also <laughs> where, where, well, well, zero long term, like, will they start to change their mind? I'm like, if your bank feeds are what are really the magic in your product, right? Right? Do you want people on public access to that? You know, I don't know, but I, I honestly think that the, what drove a lot of it is I think the banks don't like it. They, they want to control the feeds. They want, you know, yeah, well, it's, it's these the, banks now have APIs coming yeah. out. Yeah, it's the well, it's the only data that they have that's of any value, right? Uh, so yeah, you would think they would want to control it. And, and the, 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 I think the, there's an added value. So like, I, I imagine Zero's doing the same thing, and it did, and some of these other ones like Consinity and uh, Plaid, which is that. The bank feeds come down, but they're actually categorizing them and such so that a developer can just start using automatically categorized data instead of starting from scratch in the bank feed. So it'll be interesting to see, are the banks going to start categorizing things for everybody? Or there's there still going to be the need for a third-party API in between? Well, hey, speaking of app updates, Gusto, the payroll and HR app, ha- had an update. They now have simple time tracking in their application they didn't have before. You know, I didn't see that article. Did they build that themselves? Did they partner with somebody? Is it, because historically they've been really deep with T-sheets. I mean, is this a, a T-sheets integration? Yeah. No, no. So they built it themselves. I didn't see, actually see a blog post and maybe there was one, but the, the way I heard about this was on Twitter. The product manager at Gusto, responsible for it, tweeted out that it is now available and she was very proud of it. And that's how I, I found it. So that's all we have is a tweet. We have one tweet to, that talks about this so far. Okay, I, that's how I got to it. I don't know. Maybe there's some other stuff, but uh, Gusto's got a, uh, a time tracking section on their website now, and you can download a PDF where you can see screenshots. Basically, employees log in on their phone. They can clock in. They can clock out. That's about all it is at this point. Um, there's an approval workflow, and then all of it syncs into Gusto Payroll. Oh, I see this PDF here. Got it, got it, got it. No project costing, job costing at this point, but I imagine they'll eventually build that in, especially given that T-Sheets now has that with QuickBooks. That was the big announcement at QuickBooks Connect was you can now have your employees track their time in T-Sheets, allocate that time to projects, and then all of that flows into QuickBooks for job costing. So I, I 
I feel like it's inevitable Gusto is going to do that too. Yeah, I mean, because it's branding this, it's very, it's called simple time tracking. Yeah. Like, like it's like, obviously, it's not going to do anything advanced in any way, shape or form. Um, so they have a mobile app for that. And, and, and I guess what what's interesting, it kind of makes sense, right? Because if you have Gusto as your payroll provider, it's kind of employee centric payroll, right? So in many cases, the Gusto has an employee app, right? Just do your pay stubs and the such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So if the if you're already in the employee's pocket, so they can view their paychecks, then would it be nice to just use the app and clock in and out? Now, I don't know if they have a separate app, but it kind of, it makes sense, right? For them to, if they're building employee-facing stuff, the time clock makes sense. So if you want to check it out, go to gusto.com forward slash time tools. Yeah, check it out. It's, uh, it's another interesting piece of news. Um, and it's interesting the players that are doing other stuff. Um, I, I think at Cooper's Connect, I, was talking about, I talked to Square, who now does payroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a lot of players building other products now, which is really, really getting interesting as this uh, continues on. Um, I had two small articles that were really numbers, and we don't have to talk about too much, but ACH volume for B2B transactions is up like 10%. People just keep using more and more uh, ACH. Hey, 10% from when? Q3 year over year increase. So there's uh, 896 million B2B ACH payments were completed in Q3. And so I could see this even growing more because if people keep automating processes, right? Nobody wants to print a check and mail a check. You're going to try and pay through ACH, right? And, and you're going to try to get every single vendor you have either to pay, you want to pay them through ACH, or even you get your customers to pay you through ACH. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't see this number slowing down anytime soon. I saw an interesting article in Bloomberg called Tempted to Expense That Strip Club as a Business Dinner. AI is watching. It's about a new, relatively new app called AppZen. They are 18 months old. They are an AI accounting startup that specializes in expense reports. And they seem to be working with some pretty large companies, Amazon.com, IBM, Salesforce, Comcast, they say that they've saved their clients $40 million in fraudulent expenses so far. What really caught my attention about this article was the examples. Employee fraud is always fun when you have really good examples of people just expensing stuff that they should have no business expensing. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, a great one. Uh, of course, the, uh, the strip clubs as steakhouses is a you know, common attempt. This app can figure that out. Somebody was charging yoga classes to a corporate credit card. An employee traveling for work checked his dog into a kennel and billed it to his boss as a hotel expense. I got, I got more. <laughs> this is why we should have pre-production meetings, but because I had an article and I closed it, I was like, "Ah, oh, we don't need to talk about that." But it was, uh, it was about employee fraud, like like forty, uh, anywhere between like forty percent to sixty percent, depending on the country. Um, people are admitting that they use sixty percent admit they've used their corporate card for a personal item when they're tra- yeah. traveling. Well, and the problem is that most of the time, managers have so many expense reports to review that they just sort of cursorily go through them. And it's up to accounting. And if there is an internal audit, it's up to internal audit to go through and figure out if these are legit. And it's not like they're equipped to know. Like my trip to Las Vegas, like how's the accountant back home going to know what I was spending this stuff on, you know, they're, they're really relying on a lot of honesty if they don't have some sort of uh, system in place. It, it's very expensive as well. It's from a, like, because I, I've done it inadvertently. I think I bought something from Amazon once and it put it to my corporate credit card instead of my personal credit card once. And then, and then like the amount of work and emails and effort 
in the cost to the corporation to get that all back on track. It would probably, you know, a $48 mistake probably cost the company, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars in emails and fixes and reversals. And now I got to mail yeah. in a check and they got a credit to it. Like, it's just, it's, it's a little crazy. So yeah, if, and I think like, there needs to be logic and control, but it needs to probably actually happen at the swipe, right? That's where that control really has to happen. One of the fundamental rules of accounting, and I'm going to get it wrong, say it wrong because it's been so long, but it's that the, the, the cost of reporting should not exceed the value derived from it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing can be said of expense reports. If it costs you $20 to process an expense report, I mean, if that expense report is less than $20, right, if it's just coffee, like, like a $3 coffee, right, there is absolutely no value in a human being reviewing that transaction and approving yep. it because it costs you more to have them do that than to just pay it. So that's why it's really interesting. You have companies like Expensify that are saying to their customers, look, use our automation in our app to just automatically code and approve any transaction for a small amount because it is not worth you trying to look for fraud on that stuff. Right. It does. It just doesn't make sense. You might as well just trust your employees and pay them automatically, then review it. And that is really hard for a lot of accounts to accept. But yeah. if you look at the numbers, it makes sense. I think for accounts or people that want a lot of control, I mean, and I'm playing with these things right now, um, like companies like Brexcard is out there and Divi where, you know, you're setting budgets. Right. And you're setting approval limits either on an employee's trip. Right. Or um, on the. Uh, different part portions of a trip like hey you have $90 to spend on food and that charge card will not go more than $90 $90 on food right right and then they have their their charge card for Uber and it can only go so much and so in a way like if you have those controls up front stopping the payment the the, the overages right from happening and the the approved charges that are only approved for certain vendors you can really trust the automation on the back end because the odds of something getting through that's not authorized gets very very hard at that point Combine the automation with the AI, catch the really egregious examples that are actually costing your company money, and just automatically process all the small stuff that's not worth reviewing. Yep. One more point before we move on. The, the example at the end of this article is just great. A guy who's a principal at KPMG and their forensic advisory services, there's a quote from him, Guido Van Drunen, saying that he doesn't think AI is going to be able to spot all the sneaky ways that employees try to defraud their employers. So there's going to be some element of human review. And the example he gives is he was called in after an employee expensed a live Python. What? (laughs) Like a snake. Yeah. Everybody was jumping up and down and saying it was fraud. And then upon further investigation, they discovered that the individual worked in sales and had bought the uh, boa constrictor or the Python as a marketing ploy for the launch of a new product called Python the programming language okay yeah language and uh, what's what's funny is that while the snake could be justified the employee's purchase of $1200 worth of steak as snake food could not because pythons only consume live prey makes sense makes sense <laughs> makes sense so so they, they caught him on the steaks um, and then uh, they approved the the python but it just yeah just a sign like or just an example of how you are going to need some human intelligence because uh, an ai isn't going to know that pythons don't eat, isn't going to make the connection. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. But hopefully it's just, it's less and less. Like you're just getting, you're really just looking at the exceptions at that point. Right. And you're yeah, not, not, you're not looking at not coffee transaction. Pur- not coffee purchases. No, perfect. I think that's about it for this week. I know Thanksgiving's coming up 
next week. So we probably won't do a show Friday, but maybe we'll try to do one Monday following or something. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll see what kind of news comes out next week. You never know. Uh, it's kind of slow. Actually, I think Intuit's earnings are next week. So we're, oh. we're, we're going to have news to talk about. I think Intuit's earnings are coming up. And it's funny, you know, I've got I've got so many articles here. I wish I could talk more, but we decided to keep the show to about 20 minutes because that's the typical attention span. At least that's my attention span anyway. <laughs> um, but I have heard feedback from folks who say, oh, I love going to the gym and putting on a podcast. And for me, 20 minutes isn't enough. And so I actually had somebody tell me that we need to make this longer, David. I'm, I'm curious to know what the consensus is from the listenership. So if you have an opinion, let us know. Tweet us out. Like, I, I kind of feel like if, if an article's worth talking about, you talk about it and you go along, right? Or you, you go what to where the, but I also don't want to be like, Hey, let's for sure, let's do an hour long podcast. And then the last 40 minutes are just, we're, we're reaching, we're, we're going deep in the weeds. Kind of. <laughs> so I, I think it's like, my opinion is you do what's right based on the articles that kind of came out that week. But on Twitter, I think people, maybe we do a little Twitter poll. Yeah. Right. Um, we could set that up and should be uh, longer, shorter. Or we'll, we'll, we'll figure out a way to phrase that up and let people participate in that. That's a good idea. I'll leave that to you, David, because I think you're a little okay. more popular than I am on Twitter. Uh, and <laughs> Jeez. so how, how are people going to uh, find out about this poll? Where uh, what, what, How are they going to follow you? You're going to follow me at David Leary on Twitter. And where are they going to find you? And I'm at Blake T. Oliver. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, where I just posted, it's uh, the 16th, I just posted a video of my interview with Amy Vetter, so check that out. Awesome. And uh, with that said, we will see you guys in about 8 to 10 days, and we'll, I, like, I really truly think Intuit earnings are coming out, so we, will have a, we should have news to discuss in about two weeks. All right. Looking forward to it, David. All right. Bye, everybody. Later, Blake. <laughs>